0: I've hit the record button. We're live. We're live. Well, live to tape or live to. (laughs) What the word would be live to. It's not tape, it's live to digital,
1: live to. Live to YouTube eventually.
0: Live to wherever it goes. And then, because I can't edit to save my life. So it's live to tape, that's for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. But yeah, uh,
0: this is kind of a unique episode of the podcast because uh, this is more focused. Not so much on Freemasonry, uh, although I think we can touch on that, but this is more focused on the the actual uh, podcast medium itself and kind of some changes to that that you're looking to make, and more just about the medium uh, in general. So yeah, great to have uh, Amit Kukreja here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Got in touch with me a uh, few months ago now. Would have been still in 2020.
1: Uh, I think it was December 2020, right? Or November. That was definitely December. Definitely December. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and not to bury the lead, but uh, I'll let you talk about kind of your your contact with me and also kind of what you're working on in in regards to to the the podcast or to podcasting and kind of the, the new approach you're taking to it.
1: Yeah. So thank you again for having me on the pod. Um, I definitely hit you up in December of 2020. I've been sending emails out to a bunch of different podcasters. Really, when you're starting a startup, you're just trying to get anyone to listen to you and anyone to give you a little bit of the time of day. And uh, Cameron responded to me, which was awesome. So I was able to give you a little bit of a pitch. Uh, really, we're trying to build a new way for podcasts to be distributed at Audia, which is the name of the company we're trying to build. It's called Audio. It stands for Audio Idea. It stands for Audia. And um, the idea is we're trying to build a native centralized platform that is sort of aggregating the world's audio ideas in one place so that a user theoretically can go to the platform, search in a search query like they would do on Google or YouTube, and be met with a result instead of the video being the result or an article or website being a result, they would be met with an idea, an audio idea as the result to their search query. And the sort of premise here is that podcasting right now has a very hard time in terms of being able to organically get Uh, people's audio content to the faces of users. So we are trying to build an entire community-based ecosystem in which there is a centralized platform that has millions of audio ideas that is attracting people to go to that platform, search for things and get those audio ideas as results of their search queries. This is all based off the assumption that five to 10 years from now, people are going to want audio results as the answers to their questions, whether those are podcasts or motivational speeches or poetry bits, comedy bits, whatever they may be, versus articles and videos. Not saying that articles and videos are gonna go away, but if the audio revolution is really happening, then if there's a platform that is capitalized on that, and it's able to serve effective audio results as answers to the search queries, then hopefully that platform could take off, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. Yeah, that seems.
0: I'm, I'm, you know, pretty new to to podcasting. I'm coming close to the one year uh, uh, anniversary of when I first started, but the the searchability, the searchability of, of audio does seem to be an area that's lacking in podcast promotion. Um, you, know, you can search it, for keywords and be trying to track down like an audio snippet or something specific to to the audio. If you don't know. If you don't know the name of the podcast you're looking for uh, it, it, that seems to be where where even I notice where, where there's a, a hole and it seems like this is a, a good way to fill it.
1: Yeah, audio searching for uh, searching for audio is absolute trash in today's day and age. Like it, like, like it is bad. It is really hard to find audio content. And I think the, the reason for that is because there is not a native centralized platform that is branded itself as a platform that is built for audio ideas to be, to be discovered. When people are searching for things like how to lose weight. They're not searching for like some, some, the best nutritionist expert. They're just searching and hoping to find an answer article or video wise. That's meaningful for, for, for their search query. So when I go to YouTube and I search in how to lose weight, the results I get are immediate. They're not like three hour long podcasts with some dietitian. It's just like a five minute tips video on how to start losing weight. And then you start doing more research into the content you're getting. If it's for audio, like that five-minute snippet of content that is telling me just from an audio perspective, which is ninety-nine point nine percent of the same experience of watching the person on YouTube, it's just watching them talk is meaningless. But what they're saying is what actually matters. The audio. There's not a platform that I've realized that is actually there effectively distributing that content. And and going back to your point. It, that's what makes it hard to find podcasts because if I'm a YouTuber and I've decided I'm going to be in the gym nutrition health field of YouTube, then if I start making content around those keywords, like how to lose weight, which is a question of, you know, a lot of people who are overweight are typing, then that means that I might potentially pop up even though it's a competitive niche. And that gives me the ability to become discovered, even though no one knows who I am without having to do paid advertising. I think that same approach to audio simply doesn't exist. And if we can solve that problem, I think we'll get a lot more people hopefully discovered.
0: Where did the, the impetus uh, for this come from? I know you're involved in podcasting yourself. Was it, was it something you just saw in the market in general, this need? Or was it something that you kind of noticed when you began your podcasts? And that's what kind of hit it home for
1: you. You know, Cameron, this, this is such a good question because I have the idea for this. And I'll get into how I got the idea back in uh, June of 2020. Right. It was kind of born out of the pandemic. And I, I literally spent my days walking through the parks. And one of these, the one day the idea came to me that now it's, it's February of twenty twenty one. And an audio tech startup is literally the most competitive thing in the world, particularly because for some people who are not listening, Clubhouse. Uh, and I don't even know if you're familiar with them, Cameron, but they're an audio tech startup that just got valued at a billion bucks. So now the entire, and whenever something gets valued at a billion dollars, all the tech people in the world are like, how can we recreate it to get a piece of that pie? Because if you're valued at a billion, there's obviously a lot of interest around it. I didn't know that audio would be the big new thing in 2021 back in June. I just had a problem that I was trying to solve that happened to be in the audio space. And now it's the most competitive thing in the world. So it's kind of like weird. It's like when you try to do something, the universe is like, let's make it 10,000 times harder, even though you didn't know it was going to be that hard. So that's where we are today in audio. In terms of the motivation for it, I always wanted to be a musician. So I really, really wanted to be a rock star. Like I wanted to go on tour. I wanted to sell out Madison Square Garden. That was the dream that I had. Uh, By the time I got to high school, I realized I couldn't sing. So uh, that dream kind of started started to get stepped on a little bit by the realities of the universe coming down on me. So I was like, all right, I can't sing. By the time I graduated college, I still realized I had all these creative ideas that I wanted to express, but I didn't want to express them through the podcasting medium. I wanted to express them through an album right? Because an album to me stands the test of time. Like people will listen to a Michael Jackson album a thousand years from now. People will read a a book a thousand years from now if it's a timeless book. But people aren't really listening to just an audiophile episode five a thousand years from now, right? Like it has to be really a phenomenal creative body of work that is cohesive in, in in its nature and it stands the test of time. So I was like, if I can't do that with music, what if i do that with speaking what if i build a speaking album of seven to ten tracks song one song two song three but they're speeches and they go from seven to 12 minutes kind of like seven to ten different ted talks part of this cohesive body of work and then i'm gonna give it to the world and that's going to be like my magnum opus of you know the things that i care about the most so i did that i worked on it for two months in the summer and then it was time to distribute it and this is around june 2020 where i start getting the idea When I went to distribute it, I looked at the audio distribution platforms that existed because it's an audio experience. I was like, okay, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, that's not going to work. That's for visual stuff. So I looked at kind of Spotify and Apple and things like that. And I realized that they kind of boxed me into either a music or a podcast. And I was like, this is definitely not music. And this is definitely not episode one of a podcast. Like track number three, which was called, I figured out the answer to life on my project. Um, that was not episode number three. Like it just didn't fit the form factor of what I thought the brand of that particular content should be as in terms of a podcast. So at that point, that's where the idea kind of got triggered to me. Is like, what if there could be a native centralized platform in which if you had a creative idea to express through spoken word audio, it just existed for you to upload it just like YouTube does for video. If I have a Hollywood film or a vlog or anything in between. YouTube's there and their brand is like, if you have an idea and a camera, you can become discovered. I didn't think there was a platform that says if you have an idea and a microphone, you can become discovered because of how it boxed you into either being a musician or a podcaster. And the medium in between is kind of where um, the idea for the platform ultimately was created. And then we started working on it. Uh,
0: being, uh, Being boxed in, that's something I've been thinking a lot about not so much in terms of uh, genres like musician versus um, uh, uh, spoken word versus like, you know, trying to, or versus columnist. But I have been thinking a lot about being boxed in, in terms of, of my podcast. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on this as a fellow podcaster. You know, the, the reason I, I started Square Encompass, the Square Encompass podcast and Square Compass promotions uh, really, it, It was to not only, you know, promote the the things I love about Freemasonry and and my stories within it, but it was really also to try to demonstrate the connection that, you know, Freemasonry has to kind of the the larger world, whether it be, uh, you know, Masonic temples as not just places of Masonic history, but city history and community history, um, or, um, you know, like, uh, I just speaking of, of timeless albums, I just did an interview yesterday. Uh, so it should be posted soon with uh, a mason from Nashville. He owns Pioneer Coach, which is the company that leases all the tour buses for like famous uh, motley crew. Um, but he was actually the bus driver for Prince during the Purple Rain tour.
1: Wow, that's awesome!
0: It was so, and I'm a huge Prince fan, so I kind of freaked out when I so, found so
1: that. So Prince or Michael Jackson, which one takes the case? Prince, for? Prince. Okay, you are 1,000% wrong, but I'll let you continue, that's okay.
0: Well, we can't agree, you know, not everybody no, It's
1: not even that you're wrong, it's that you're so objectively wrong, I don't even know if you have an argument to stand for, but nonetheless, you can continue, that's all right. you.
0: you, you Purple Rain is, like, the start and end of, of the and argument. And that's the
1: only thing you have. You don't have Thriller. You don't have Bad. You don't have Dangerous. You don't, I mean, you have nothing other than Purple Rain, but, you know. You
0: don't need it. Well, all right. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that. But <laughs> you're talking to him and, you know, he talked about how there's, like, so many Masons are involved in the music industry. Not, like, now the conspiracy nuts go crazy. But, you know, they're, they're bus drivers or roadies. Uh, you know, Detroit Masonic Temple being, you know, Jimi Hendrix playing there and fan of the Opera. Uh, but I, I, my concern is, you know, with a, with a podcast that has like a Masonic component to it, people think, oh, if I'm not a Freemason, I won't enjoy the podcast. Um, and I'm trying to say to people, no, no, even if you're not a Freemason, you probably will find some interesting connections to your life or your city in this podcast or to music or whatever it is. Uh, because it touches on all these different aspects. Um, So I guess from a, a, this is more of a general question, from a podcasting perspective, how do you think a a podcaster can walk the line between, you know, focusing on a quote unquote niche subject but keeping it accessible enough for everybody to, to, uh, to find and enjoy and get something out of it?
1: Yeah, no, it, I mean it's a good question. It makes a lot of sense. We were talking about it off camera that me and my uh, friend that I do a, like a funny co- comedic podcast with, uh, we were we boxed ourselves into a certain theme for a couple of months, and until we broke out of that theme, we weren't able to really see growth and things of that nature. The th- the thing about what what you're describing is you're so Freemasonry already as a concept has a ton of different connotations and stigma associated with it. If you're trying to break that as a podcast outside of its brand, which this is for anyone who's trying to break a podcast outside of their brand. To me, the best advice I think I can give is just basically what you've been doing, which is having different guests. Like to me, if you're you're having a podcast that is interviewing people or having conversations with people, and it's not just you and the same person talking about the same subject every week, then it becomes a question of what unique perspective is that guest adding to the show? And how can you pivot the discussion and and really curate dialogue in a way that is outside of the niche, but still simultaneously connected to the niche. So for example, my friend and I, we have a podcast called The Absurd Academics and the whole theme is like, can we academically justify the absurd things that happen in the universe? Can we make sense of the things that don't make any sense? We had a painter come on the podcast the other day. This was, uh, I think our second guest ever that was on the podcast. And initially the conversation was a little weird. We weren't sure really how to steer it and navigate it. But after about 10, 15 minutes, we were able to get into a groove. And we started like towing the line between how does this painter think of creativity at the intersection of their creative medium? And then we took that to a different level in terms of how do you make sense of the irrational things that happen in the world? So this creative painter was big on social justice. So for the past four years, there were things that the Trump administration was doing that were not the most friendliest from her perspective. And she was trying to represent how she felt in art so there was sort of like a theme of like representing the irrational or making sense out of irrational things from your perspective through a creative medium and then making them rational that fits in the line but that fits in the theme of what the absurd academics represents but making sure we were able to find conversations that intersect Uh, with that person's perspective was kind of the name of the game so I think it's hard to be boxed in but you kind of need the box in order to give yourself a brand it's hard to just be like the everything podcast but I think diversifying diversifying the guests and the conversations that are on the podcast hopefully gets you out of the box a little
0: bit yeah it kind of it hit home for me uh, a few weeks ago now uh it's already posted but I did an interview with uh, Rosemary Fiss, she is the director of programs for our local Alzheimer's Dementia Society. Um,
1: I think, uh, I think I saw I saw part of that on YouTube the other day.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was. A, I really enjoyed speaking with her, and um, you know, my my thinking behind it was Freemasonry. Knock on wood. Uh, this changes a bit, but our demographic right now uh, skews older. We have a lot of you know, the last great boom Masonic period was in the 1950s. We have a lot of Masons in their, you know, late 50s, 60s and 70s, and that's a risk age for dementia, Alzheimer's. So I wanted to have her on to talk about, you know, how we can support brethren who are experiencing this or if they have families who are experiencing this. Uh, But when I did get in touch with her, she said, well, I have, you know, no knowledge of Freemasonry, so I want to make a good guest and trying to explain, no, no, you know, you don't need, I can connect this to Freemasonry. I just need, you know, your expertise can help not only Masons necessarily, but anybody with family members or who's suffering from this, you know, so people here, it's a Masonic podcast. So they assume, you know, I won't have anything to add or get from it. Uh, And just trying to break that preconception.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's important. And that's the biggest thing for guests. If you're a podcaster and you're inviting someone to be on the show, the number one thing is unless they're like some expert in their niche, It's very difficult for them to sort of think of what they're going to communicate about even the painter like she's an amazing painter, but she's never really done like spoken word for an hour and a half and had a discussion and what she told me that day was interesting. It's really a, I don't want to say a talent, but it's really a skill to be able to curate dialogue. Right to really get into someone's head and get them to say things that cultivates a discussion that is not only meaningful but relates to other people because people are listening to it in order to get them to care about what conversation is happening in a world in which thousands and millions of conversations are happening by the second and, we are, and being posted online. So it's definitely a challenge, but yeah, finding people like that. Given you made the connection between Alzheimer and dementia and the the age demographic of Freemasons, I thought that's probably a perfect guest at that point. out.
0: And that does bring the question, question. Uh, uh i got it's some, got
1: some comedy. Comedy. I yeah i think i heard it for a second you're good know that you're good now all right,
0: all right. uh the like what is the um I, I i sometimes wonder you look at say for example joe rogan uh lex friedman kind of the, the pod fathers, um yeah you know, mark Marin to a certain extent you know they it seems that they've they've of cracked this code where it's not even people aren't being drawn to a particular subject or or matter it's more about you know uh i would describe it as like they're they're passionate people discussing areas uh, of competence and that seem you know so like lex freeman had uh uh, jim color on the show and i'm a moron so i didn't understand half of what they were saying but i still enjoyed listening to it you know it seems that there it does seem to be a market in the podcast avenue for, you know, at a certain point, it seems like the subject stops mattering. It's more the, the passion or the expertise, and that just attracts people to them.
1: That, I mean, that's 1,000% correct. I've noticed in the podcasting game as well. It's really about how much does the audience care about how you're communicating. And it's the same thing with music, right? Like when a, a musician releases an album, like, yes, the music has to be good. But the fan base has to care about that musician's life. So when they release the next song, you at least tune in. For Lex Friedman and Joe Rogan, like they have such a loyal fan base because they've developed a communication style in which the reason it's called the Lex Friedman podcast is because Lex Friedman is the one curating the discussion. Right. It's not Freemasonry. It's not absurd academics. It's just his name. Same thing with Joe Rogan. They are such good communicators and they're so good at taking any guest, whether it's a comedian or an astrophysicist and asking deeper questions or meaningful questions that curates dialogue, in which the the fan base just comes back for Lex or for Joe. And I think that's ultimately what every podcaster wants to do, even if you're in a particular type of niche, you have to be consistent enough with producing a lot of content, but also qualitatively consistent enough to the point where someone just loves a myth right? Someone just loves Cameron. And I've had some fans reach out to me and David, he's the he's the person I do my podcast with, which is just like, you guys are funny. Like I love playing you guys in the background while I'm doing dishes because it's, it's soothing for me to listen to. Now that's one or two people telling us that if we can get that to a couple thousand, that's where we start developing a fan base. But that's the energy I think you need as a podcaster, primarily because you don't have music on your side. You don't have, you know, beats and rhythms. You only have your ability to effectively say stuff that matters. So it's a journey trying to figure that out.
0: Now, as somebody who's who's working on creating uh, their own platform, uh, you know, we definitely got to touch on um, the, the the. See, I don't even like to. I don't even know what to call it because I feel like it's so cliched. I mean, the free speech debate, the you know, pick your pick your term. I feel like part of me feels like it's been it's been done to death, right? Um, yeah, but the. The basic, I I do think there's a. It's always an interesting discussion, right? The basic idea of, um, yeah, you know, who gets, uh, who who gets a seat at the table, you know, and it, it applies outside of that to social media and who gets to tweet, who doesn't, like, you know, uh, the 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 long standing, uh, you know, libertarian streak in me, uh, you know, I do kind of. Uh, you know, admire the idea that somebody either because, you know, pick your, pick your, your terms, either because they were first or smarter or luckier or whatever worked harder, whatever the kind of that equation is, you know, end up creating something that is, you know, powerful enough to, you know, ban the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a libertarian, I kind of find that in a way inspirational as to, to what can be done. But I do recognize, you know, especially from a Masonic perspective, there have been times in history uh, where the Freemasons were, were not looked fondly upon. Um, and, you know, Freemasonry was banned or, or whatever it might be. So I guess, uh, just do you have any thoughts? What are your thoughts on that in general? Like, it, it's such a co- complicated subject. I struggle with it. Um, and I'm still a you know brand new podcaster, uh, less than a thousand subscribers. And it's something I think
1: about it's nuanced i think generally my philosophical angle towards it is that free speech is good like the first amendment is good censorship is bad like philosophically as as i've started to grow older i'm starting to recognize like there's not that many countries in the world that you could say you know screw biden or screw trump and you can't go to jail for saying that right like that as a, you know i didn't recognize that when i was in high school i was just like yeah that's just like of course we shouldn't be able to say what we want to say and then you start getting older you start doing more research and you're like wait a second in North Korea, they can't do that. Like, that's, that's not going to fly with, you know, the dictator right there. So I'm a big proponent of not only admiring freedom of speech and everything that it entails, but really championing that as a society that's trying to cultivate some level of shared purpose, which is the basis for the society to exist and thrive, that there has to be a level of open discussion. Now, in the context of podcasting, to me, it's such a natural fit because it's not Twitter. Like you can't just do 140 characters and then you know that gets blocked because someone said a bad word. Like in a podcast or an open discussion, you have to hear the other person's argument, which means two things. A, you have to give them time to say it. It's not just 140 characters. You have to give them a couple minutes to develop what they're trying to argue. And then B, you yourself can't just curse them out as a cop-out or just say you're a racist. Like you have to actually say something that validates and justifies why what that person said was either bad or, or why there's a substantial disagreement from your perspective. And that's what I think we're seeing with, with the rise of applications like Clubhouse. They're valuing this idea that the toxicity that exists on the social media platforms has ultimately led to a, a president being banned. What if there was no platform like that not saying that it should go away, but just what if the general consensus moved towards a voice-based application in which it's not as easy to get out 15,000 tweets a day because you have to spend an hour having a conversation with someone you disagree with, which just cultivates a higher level of of purpose in discussion. Um, So ultimately the way I see the, the free speech debate is free speech is good. People should not be banned no matter what they say. They should be able to say it. It's just a question of how as a society we're able to have open conversations uh, on platforms that are hopefully more audio oriented versus just the toxicity of something visual and textual based in order to hear the other person out. Because eventually the other person is going to say something if if it's truly that bad that it deserves to be censored, we're going to hear that out in their argument because they're probably not going to be able to justify what they're saying. Like if they're saying, hey, we should all become Nazis, they're probably going to have a really horrible justification when they're trying to argue that. But that being visually, uh, but that being audio-oriented to me just provides a hopefully deeper discussion.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I think the benefit of a deeper discussion too is it helps avoid that echo chamber uh, yeah. effect because, um, you know, and in our discussion, you're going to hit a lot of different points. And unless the person you're talking to is a psychopath, there's good, they're, they're not going to be completely down the line nope. one way or the other, like all left or all right. I mean, very few people are. Uh, a tweet, though, or you know, any of these these kind of, I feel like the problem with current social media, in a lot of cases, is it's very one dimensional in how you present yourself. You know, you if you're gonna stand for one hundred and forty tweets at a time, you're going to come across as as only being in one camp, uh, and then you'll only attract people who are in that same camp, and then they'll push. You know, it, a, a nuance, a long form discussion, I think, can't help but result in nuance, which can only help um, maybe calm the waters a bit. It's the, it's the it is the 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 shorter forms that concern me as opposed to long form form podcasting, where I think I think if there is a future to be had in a positive way in the social media sphere, it's long form and going away from these short tweets and short short statements that sound good but don't really mean a whole lot
1: the the short statements i mean they mean absolutely nothing in the broad scheme of things i'm a proponent of twitter and the short form updates as a form of like creative expression so when like elon musk he tweets a lot and um i follow his tweets and he tweets like really philosophical things and it's like these five or six words put together and it makes you feel something. And I'm like, oh, I enjoy that, right? That That's his creative way of expressing himself as like a guy who's trying to solve climate change, right? It's interesting to get a peek into how he thinks about things. But the people who are super political, right? Exactly what you said, like they only get retweets and likes if they stay within their lane. Meaning if you're a, a person who is Byzantine, who is a complex individual, If you start arguing for a Republican thing and a Democrat thing at the same time, your followers are not going to retweet the stuff that they're following you for, which means you're not going to get the attention that is necessary for you to start building your brand and ultimately get dollars in your pocket. And and, and the algorithms on Twitter are not going to be friendly to you because they want to keep pushing the same stuff down the echo chamber. So it all just becomes this circle of nonsense of people saying stuff they don't really care about or saying stuff that's unwarranted in order to get things on their side. And it happens in both directions. Like you see a lot of people on the right say absolute nonsense things that they don't agree with. And you see a lot of people on the left that also say like just stuff that objectively is bad. That's not a liberal value. Um, And at the end of the day, it's all just to get more attention. I think audio, as you're talking about, might be the thing that starts to penetrate that echo chamber and potentially resolves things. Like five years from now, if people aren't tweeting and they're just listening to long form discussions, I don't know, that might change civil discourse fundamentally.
0: Yeah, I, I think it can help but do that. And the other benefit of, of it is, um, you do, you, you're less likely to get the coordination. Well, uh, opportunities slash challenges in the sense that, um, you know, uh, the the way Twitter or Facebook works sometimes is it's easy to be like, you know, you, 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 you talk a lot of shit about somebody or a politician or whatever it is. And then you'd be like, by the way, I'm going to be at this rally 2 PM 1st and 2nd street. And then somebody else is like, Hey, I'll be there too. And they're not saying anything quote unquote violent. They're just saying where they'll be. But if you read the past, you know, seven tweets that they've put in, they've been saying, you know, this person is a cannibal eating babies, right? Like at a certain point you can, people just not, you know, you have this emergent coordination that takes place. But again, in the audio platform, uh, I suppose it's theoretically possible in the comments section, but I feel like it's much less likely. Like you're not going to listen to an hour-long podcast in order to then in the comments section, you know, coordinate your... Agenda. Storming of wherever storming of the Capitol. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and, and I think if you're going to have comments in the, in the section of an audio, uh, if you've actually listened to the whole thing, your comments will be just so much more wiser because you've listened to an hour of different perspectives. So the discussion you're going to try to cultivate hopefully will be a little bit more meaningful. It's probably the reason what you're talking about with Twitter and Facebook, I just stopped posting about politics in general on these platforms because to me, like I I used to do it a lot in high school because like I I was really, like I used Facebook a lot and stuff. And I like, if I had a political opinion, I would just talk about it and I would get energy from the people who disagreed with me and we would get into a little fight in the comments. Now I'm just like, what exactly we posting about, I hate Biden's new stimulus plan, or I think Trump is an idiot. Like, what does that do? Like, Like, I'm generally trying to, in the short amount of time I have to live on life, if I get to say that on an open platform and people just disagree with it, the only benefit is some type of selfish dopamine I get from seeing people comment. It's not the actual curation of a dialogue. Because if I genuinely wanted to have a discussion with someone I disagree with politically, like genuinely wanted that, we would do a podcast. We would have a discussion, even if it's a private podcast, even if it doesn't go out to the world. But these like Facebook comments, I mean, they mean nothing. You're just not changing someone's opinion through Facebook because then the person has to admit that they made a mistake publicly in the Facebook comments and no one wants to do that. So it's just never going to work, you know?
0: Yeah, I I agree. I that's why that's one of the reasons I was I was so excited about, you know, uh, Audio is 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 I think you know the future of civil discourse is we need to move people away from the the current uh, the the current model of communication online and really emphasize like a clubhouse approach. We need to emphasize long form discussion and, and nuanced discussion. Um, you know how exactly that that's done outside of the the apps and things that is a challenge because like I'm pretty regular user of Facebook uh, and Twitter to, you know, promote the podcast. Whenever I have a new episode out, they go up there. Um, So obviously, you know, how do you let that continue, but not let people post about politics or like it become, you know, it's, it's tricky how to differentiate it, but if, if long form audio and video, but, but audio becomes more popular, I think that can only be, that can only be a good thing.
1: It, it's a paradox that these platforms are democratized to everybody, meaning everyone has their voice. You don't have to go through a gatekeeper, uh, which means you can't stop people from saying certain things, theoretically you shouldn't. Um, and it's, it's a great promotional tool. Like if you are trying to start anything, podcast, business, company, whatever it is, this thing exists that has 4 billion people on it and you could put your stuff on it and you could get attention for your thing. So it is the most selfish land grab of opportunity that is that is a good type of selfish, for humans that have ever existed in the history of humankind. The, the question now becomes, I think, from a, so, so from a sociological perspective in the next five years, do we get people to start recognizing that the things they should be posting are things that are advantageous and beneficial for them versus divisive things that literally do nothing to cultivate conversation? The problem is people get attention from the divisive stuff more than the, hey, guys, I have a new podcast. No one, I mean, people care, but no one really cares. But if you say, hey, guys, Trump is an idiot. All the people who are Trump fans are like, let me check out what this guy's saying. And that creates discussion, that creates community, that creates more advertising dollars for Facebook to sell because now there's all these people having a, a flame war in the comments, which means it's a really weird paradox. It's a great marketing material, uh, uh, mechanism, but it's filled with all this nonsense. And it's like finding the divide between that is really what the challenge is gonna be over the next couple of years.
0: And yeah, I've noticed. Maybe this just is 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 in my circles, but I think it's spreading. Is is this use of you know magic words, for lack of a better term? They're they're like they're meant to be like get out of jail or like, or like erase cards. Where I noticed them first on social media a lot, and now it seems more frequently outside of it. Uh, which again, I think an uh, something like an audio can can help because you don't get away with it. And in Twitter and Facebook, people will, you know in my opinion, they'll say, and then they'll just say something. And then it's like, it's just my opinion. Or we'll see. That was what I noticed a lot moving up to, for example, the, not just uh, January 6th, but the inauguration where yeah. people were like, uh, Biden's going to be arrested. And then they'd say at the back, like, I don't know for sure. We'll see. And then they're saying like, I'm not saying a fact. And, and now i noticed even in conversation, the, the one benefit again of audio is if somebody says like, It's just my opinion that blah, you can be like, well, no, you're going to have to say more than just, you can't just say that. And then whatever you say afterwards, you know, free pass or um, we'll see, you know, that's, that's another one where it's like, the government uh, is in possession of alien technology. We'll see, like, if you're going to make that claim, you better have something to back it up beyond anything's possible, but that doesn't mean you can't just throw it out there in the world.
1: It's also the basic element of of a keyboard warrior. Like anyone who said Biden's going to get arrested, in their opinion, if they were asked to go on a podcast or like a clubhouse discussion and say that, there's no way they're saying that unless they have a real good argument, because they're going to sound like an absolute idiot. They have no warrant for that. They have no analysis. They have no evidence. Whether you like Biden or not, you can't just say like same thing with Trump. I mean, people said so many illogical things about Trump when they were criticizing them that had no basis in discussion, but they would just tweet it like it's my opinion. In audio, you can't do that. Because if anything, the person on the other side is going to check you, and then you don't want to sound like an idiot in front of people, right? Where you can you can sound like an idiot when you're tweeting something because there's no there's no effect for that.
0: Yeah, and it, it really does force you to to put in the work of yeah. having to defend, like uh, you know, if, if it is an extraordinary claim or whatever, uh, to defend that that position. That's even something I noticed um, in in my political world. Um, you know, I was. I've, I've uh, volunteered locally in politics for forever, you know, doorknock, canvassed, all that type of stuff on the uh, on the conservative side, although in Canada, that means something a little bit different. Uh, but, uh, you know, go go team blue, go Stephen Harper, uh, conservative prime minister. But I noticed in the last few years, a lot of people, friends of mine on Facebook or whatever, were posting this incredibly, like, angry, vitriolic stuff towards the Liberal Party, towards. Right. But I never saw them. They never, you know, knocked on a single door with me or handed out flyers. They did any actual, quote-unquote, legwork that, that goes into it. And that just goes to this idea, again, of the keyboard warrior. It's easy to type something in. And the more outlandish or anger it is, the more likes you get. It's the same thing with, you know, liberals attacking conservatives. It's a lot uh, it's a lot less appealing perhaps to force people to do some work which tends to moderate I mean the more work you do stuffing envelopes, knocking on doors uh, it's it's weird you you become more nuanced in your views I yep. find I don't know I don't know where, why that is exactly but it I do find the harder somebody works the more nuanced they become as opposed to you think it'd be the opposite but it seems like not it seems The less work people do, the more time they spend behind a computer, but not out doing the hard work. That's where the the nuance goes away.
1: It's kind of the old saying where like the older you get, the more conservative you get. And the basis for that is because once you get older, you have to start paying taxes. (laughs) And once someone strips into your income and is like, yeah, you work 40 hours a week and I'm taking 30% of that. you're just like, you know what? I kind of like being conservative <laughs> it's like, and it's, it, I mean, it, it's the same thing for me. It's like the older you get, the more of an appreciation, if you're actually trying to make a diligent effort to understand more about the world, um, you get in, in the nuance of your views. And I think it's the reason why Audia, the platform we're creating is going to have a harder time getting users than Twitter because our users have to, uh, upload audio ideas in which they speak their ideas. Like it's really easy for Twitter to get people, like all you have to do is say 140 characters and boom, you're, you're, a, you're a tweeter now. Like on Audia, you can't survive unless you're actually producing audio content, which goes to the next point I was gonna talk about, which means you need a perspective. I mean, you need an opinion. I think in today's day and age, it is one of the hardest things in the world to actually have a take on something. Why? Because everyone has a take, right? Even though social media is, even though not everyone's posting content regularly, everyone who is posting makes it super competitive and they have a perspective. B, what makes your perspective stand out from other people, because that's what's going to get other people to think about, without towing the line of sensationalism, which is what most people do on the right or the left. And then three, um, do you have a unique communication style, which is what we talked about in the beginning, that actually gets people to like the perspective and opinion you have, whether it's comedic or whether it's philosophical, whatever it may be. So- as a podcaster, trying to develop an opinion on things that are happening and actually have an opinion that you stand for, that you can actually justify not being in the middle, because being in the middle means you're, you're really not that nuanced. No one really cares about you. You're just reporting at that point. You're not really giving an opinion. It's a hard thing to do. And and on Twitter and Facebook, you don't really need to do that. You can just say whatever you want.
0: That is a fascinating point because it, it really delves into a Masonic problem that has been discussed ad nauseum, which is um, the the challenge of or, or, or the approach of do you go for numbers versus do you go for quality is not quite the right word to say necessarily, but do you go for um, a, a more selective uh, approach? Um, right. you, you know, the, the there has been, I would say, perhaps a twitter model to masonic uh, engagement in the sense that you know the the goal has just been to get members um to get members to bring them in you know without maybe without perhaps worrying more about a selective approach on both ends um because you know we want to make sure now the emphasis is kind of switched to just because somebody's knocking at the door and wants to be a Mason. you know, take a bit of time first to talk to them about what it is and what they want to get out of it, have them meet with members because they may want to join Freemasonry because they think that underneath the Masonic Temple is you know, remnants of the planet Zog spaceship that crash-landed, and then they're going to be disappointed when they find out that's not the case. And you don't want, by the same token, you know, you, it's, not, it's not just about the Lodge. You also don't want to, you know, waste somebody's time Um, you want to make sure that they know what it is they're joining and what they're getting into. Um, But then other people have the approach of, well, bring everybody in because you can never know for sure. And maybe the guy who at first seems like he's not going to be a right fit uh, actually will turn out to be a great fit. And so better to, you know, maybe once he finds out there's no spaceship, but he loves the ribs on Friday night or whatever it is. So, you know, I, I guess that's, from a, a business model perspective, a platform perspective, I mean, do you, do you go for the numbers? Do you be more selective? Like, what's the, the best approach you think to take? Or what approach does audio plan to take?
1: It's a good question, man. I think for all tech startups, the number one thing you need are users. Now, if you go to an investor and you're like, we have 20,000 users, the next question the investor is going to ask is, okay, how much time are there averagely, what is the average time spent, ATS, I think that's the term per day on your platform, right? And you say, they spend 23 seconds. It's like, all right, get out of my face. It's like, you have 20,000 users that don't care about your stuff. So I think quality matters a little bit more than quantity. I think if we had a thousand people using the platform for 20 minutes a day, that's a lot more attractive than 20,000 people barely using it. From a growth perspective, it's a numbers game because it's sales, right? So your email was one of thousands of emails that I was able to find online and I just shoot the messages for Most people, when you're shooting these types of messages, think it's spam think that it's some, it's some, they're trying to get money out of me. And they should be skeptical. I understand that this world exists. But for the people who actually read it, because I thought I wrote the email in a way that was trying to be like, this is not spam. I attached a YouTube video, like all that stuff. Uh, they actually take a chance because they're creative enough to take a chance on a new platform. They're, they're willing to grow their brand. And then they end up getting on a call and hopefully on that call, then it's up to me to sell them on the, the value of this idea. So it's a numbers game in getting people. You know, I've sent at least 5,000 emails over the past couple months, but we've only converted about 100 creators right? And that's how sales is. Like you get 1%, even if, if that off the, off the, the nest that you uh, uh, catch to the people and then hopefully they're quality. So the hundred people that we have out of 5,000, I think you guys are going to be really good quality on the platform. And then it's just a question of hopefully you use it often and then it keeps growing from there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the great, th- that is kind of the, 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 great Masonic question that we're struggling with. And I think a lot of organizations is struggling with is, you know, a, a, what is your number? Do you focus on numbers? Do you focus on growth? It's, there's no completely right answer. It's a bit like what I talked about before. Um, you know, when I, when I talked about the inspiration of somebody who, um, you know, quote unquote, maybe they work harder or maybe they're first in line to create something or have the best idea or are a little luckier than everybody else. But however it works out, you know, it's, I think that's for any platform, for any podcast, that's the challenge is trying to figure out quote unquote, that algorithm, like how much of this is the number of people I have, how much of this is, you know, the number of dedicated people I have, you know, yeah. do you focus on just growing the numbers, but you know, the the epic sub for sub question, like all that type of stuff.
1: That, that stuff's weird. Dude. I was on some podcasting Facebook groups, and these people are like sub for sub sub for sub. And then they, they noticed like one guy got five new subs, and then they went away. So then he reposted in that same group. He was like, guys, you have to watch at least five minutes of the content because YouTube's smart. They know if you're just subbing for subbing, they're just going to take it away. They're going to think it's a robot. So now people have gotten even smarter. They just play the video in the background after they sub to make it a real qualified sub. I'm not against those strategies, right? Especially when you're just trying to grow in the beginning. But at the end of the day, a sub for sub, the reason it doesn't matter is because that person doesn't care about your stuff. Like, yes, they can subscribe and your your channel looks good because you have more subscribers. But if they're not watching the video, I mean, that subscriber really offers very little value at that point. So at that point, it's just a question of like getting down to the gritty nitty of figuring out how do I make stuff that people care about? And that is a very hard thing to do. Like, it's a very hard thing to do. So if you become a content creator, you're signing up for this journey of, okay, I can create content because there's no more gatekeepers. But in order to create content, I have to constantly work on making myself the most entertaining or informative version of myself, which is ultimately the key to getting people's attention. It's like, you just got to make yourself something that people care about.
0: I do wonder about the gatekeeper thing, though. I'm not sure. I think that was true, but.
1: So when when I mean gatekeeper, I mean, 50 years ago, it was CBS, NBC, ABC. Like if you wanted a movie, uh, anything, it was them. They were keeping the gates. Now, theoretically, you're correct. Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, they are gatekeepers. It's just that their platforms are so democratized to me, uh, the ability to post something and get attention, there's no someone keeping the gate from your content potentially going viral on like TikTok or LinkedIn or something. Um, So that's what I mean by gatekeepers. But I do understand, yes, there are theoretically institutions like big tech that are stopping certain content from getting places
0: there are that but even in terms of i can't think of the the i, I read the article but something like nine out of the last ten like most you yeah, know, if, if you just go through for example my my typical youtube feed when i pop on it's like uh uh you know lex friedman joe rogan uh bon appetit um uh the hill like the hill rising uh, the assert academics, so congratulations, you, you guys pop up there. I get some impressions, but nope. you know, I the the tendency of um, it's almost like it's almost like in physics where you know the more massive a star is, the more mm-hmm. matter it attracts. It does seem like you know, no, I don't think it's like an intentional thing, but like Joe Rogan has become like a de facto gatekeeper in a sense, which is mm-hmm. you know, it's. A, or, uh, you know, Bon Appetit, you know, nobody, I know they had their problems, uh, still enjoy their their stuff, but like, n- nobody's mistaking them for like the, the basement podcast that, you know, or, or some guy, you know, it's not like the Wayne's World public access thing. That's a, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Right. I think of it as, I don't know if you ever watched the West Wing.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: There was that uh, episode where uh, CJ Craig, the press secretary took out. All but three chairs in the press room. Right. Because even though there was like 30, 30 publications represented in the press room, they were all owned by a total of like three major companies. I wonder okay. if behind the scenes that's happening more than we think that there, there are kind of companies that are cornering the market on content just because they have the capacity to produce so much of it.
1: That's so that's a really good point. So there's two things that you triggered when when you were saying that. A, you're saying Joe Rogan, just given the the sort of like Uh, brand equity that he's cultivated over 10 years has become a de facto gatekeeper because he's going to show up in your home feed versus other people. I think that's true. I just think the ultimate thing is because he started 11 years ago as a nobody, and now 10 years later, he's a somebody, he earns the level of gatekeeping that he has. Same thing with Lex Freeman. Like these people, because they're not NBC and CBS and all that stuff, and they started from nothing, if they're now getting more attention, the algorithms are being more friendly to them, I guess they've just done a good job at pumping up content. Now, that's kind of discouraging for people like you and me because we're not the de facto gatekeeper. But that's also just because we haven't done it long enough or created enough quality content that they've been able to do, which is just the journey of creating content. And hopefully, if we're good enough content creators, that's going to happen over time and we will be spamming people's home feed. The big thing is that YouTube has 2 billion people using the platform per month right? Joe Rogan is not getting 2 billion views every day. So like there are more and more and more people and YouTube's only getting bigger and bigger. And same thing with all the other tech companies where there's more people to reach as more people use the internet and get on those platforms. So theoretically, even if, you know, he's holding a good amount of the home feed, hopefully we as as creators are going to be friendlier with the algorithm and just get us in front of different diverse audiences. That's kind of what Audia is trying to do. But the second thing you said is also really interesting, which is that the media companies, they have billions of dollars of content they can create literally every day. So if, if, if um, what well, CNN is spamming YouTube with 50 videos a day because they can, then it's really hard for an upstart news network to like use YouTube as their main distributor because like CNN has TV and YouTube. And that's where I think you have a good point. That's where it's a question of if YouTube can start to recognize that maybe we shouldn't push, push CNN's content in front of the creators that ultimately make up the platform, which are the individuals and not the big media companies. But then again, YouTube's going to lose money if they do that. So I don't know how that's going to work out.
0: Yeah. It's tricky because, you know, the CNN example, right. They can, they can afford to use YouTube as like a lost leader. Yeah. Uh, basically. They don't, they don't need to, they don't need to use, you know, YouTube to make money. They just yep. need to use YouTube to make sure nobody sees like the hill rising or the upstart, you know, whatever and the it hill is.
1: Rising is good, man. The hill rising, crystal and sager I got into their stuff cause they were on the Joe Rogan podcast, ironically five months ago and they got me hooked. Like they know how to analyze politics.
0: I, yeah, I, I agree. Their stuff is, is terrific. Uh, but again, you know, the, the, impetus for cnn to be on youtube won't be financial necessarily it will just be you know if the hill rising is going to be on here we can have you know say 10 videos we can put up 50 videos or or whatever it is right and even if we lose money that will still get suppressed and then people will come to our you know television to see the rest of it so that that's the trick of you know do you say to you is it okay for youtube to say you know if you have you know 50 million in the bank or whatever it is operating budget maybe you don't get to use our platform like it's a tricky thing i'm not sure again the libertarian in me is not a fan of that but i can see the you know if, what is never the old newspaper expression never pick uh, a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel like
1: yeah i mean it's difficult because you know as someone who's creating a platform if cnn wanted to start posting anderson cooper's monologues on audia I would. I'd be like, yeah, go ahead. You know that's <laughs> like that's not. Oh, yeah, you'd be you'd be crazy not yeah. to. Yeah, and, and, but then it's a question: if we do get as big as YouTube, do we start thinking like, yeah, CNN? We, you know, we want up-and-coming spoken word content creators to get more attention than you. I don't know. It's a very mixed divide. I think the best thing is just having a balance between like showing Joe and showing CNN at the same time, and hopefully you get more and more people on the platform, so more and more people get access to the rising things of that nature.
0: So speaking of uh, platforms again. Uh, when can people start looking for, for Audia and, and um, you know, how do they find it, uh, sign up, all that type of stuff? What's the, the logistics of it?
1: So we're launching in April of 2021. Today is uh, February 27th of 2021. So uh, we're launching in about a month. Super excited for it. Uh, it's going to be exclusive. Uh, it's going to be uh, exclusive only to get onto the platform. So if you want to get on the platform, you're going to have to find someone who has a creator invite. Uh, so we're going to have about 200 people in beginning in, in, in April. You guys will each get three creator invites, so you'll be one of them. And you'll be able to give it out to anyone else who wants to join the platform and who you think would be a good fit for the platform. That is the only way to get on right now. If you are really, really interested in getting on, you can uh, message me at Amit at Audia.io, A-M-I-T at A-U-D-E-A-I-O, and ask for a creator invite. We're trying to keep it small in the beginning, because we're trying to grow at a very careful pace before we kind of hopefully explode. Um, but yeah, you can get over socials at audio.io and we're on YouTube and all that stuff like that. But to get on the platform, you would need an invite to join right now.
0: And how, how can people find your, uh, your podcasts?
1: So, uh, I have a comedic podcast with a friend it's called the absurd academics. That's on YouTube, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts, all that stuff. And I have my own channel on YouTube where I talk every single day about the process of growing this startup. It's called a show called start it up. Uh, That's just my name, Amit Kukreja, K U K R U J A, and type in startup, and hopefully I should pop up. And yeah, you could follow along the journey of building idea.
0: Very cool. And uh, we talked about it, so I suppose we should throw in there uh, your socials. We want to follow you on Twitter or Facebook, anything like that.
1: Yeah, both of them are it's Amit Kukreja, I T S. -S 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 A-M-I-T-K-U-K-R-E-J-A. It's a Amitkukreja. That's on Instagram and Twitter. I'm starting to use Twitter a little bit more now that I'm getting into it. Facebook, I, I don't post really that much on Facebook, um, but we are, we're going to have like an official Amitkukreja page and I'll start posting there. But Twitter and Instagram is where you can find me Awesome. Uh,
0: I guess my last question um, is, you know, it, it goes to this is something I've talked about with a few different uh, uh, guests, the, you know, just the, the lore of, of content uh, creation, right? Like what is it, what is it about this? Is it purely a matter of it's so accessible or, or what is it about kind of the explosion that we've seen in podcasts in um, I just content in general? Is it that, you know, anybody can, can do it now? Or is it that you think it speaks more to something that people want to communicate with each other and maybe they're a bit starved for it? Or just what do you attribute this, this growth we're seeing to?
1: To me, there, there's a philosophical premise that guides the essence of my life and that hopefully eventually permeates the culture that I'm trying to build at Audia, which it's just this one statement. Creativity is the salvation for the tragedy of the human condition. Uh, that, that sounds really good, right? Because I've worked on that for a while. <laughs> Creativity is the salvation for the tragedy of the human condition. To me, the human condition is inevitable suffering. Like there are very few moments in life where you actually get to enjoy the nature of existence. Most of life is having to deal with the bullshit from your boss or your job or having to pay bills or dealing with your wife saying something great. Like you just have to deal with a ton of bullshit for 80 years and then you die. Right, that's the nature of existence. It's inevitable suffering. What saves you from that suffering is subjective. For some people, it's religion, for some people, it's Freemasonry, for some people, it's music. At the end of the day, to me, what saves you, what gives you salvation from the tragedy of being a human being, is creativity. If you are able to create something, you are able to express yourself in a way that that is at a higher, deeper level than any job could provide you, any nine to five could provide you. And now with social media, the accessibility of being able to broadcast your creative work that saves you from the tragedy of your human condition is the, is the sort of the, the, the revolution of the 21st century to me. And we're only 20 years into this, right? I mean, 15, we, we kind of started in 2005 with Facebook. So we're at the, we're at the very beginning of what the next thousand years are gonna look like in terms of content creation and sharing. And I think so many people are creative. So many people have been creative for so long. They just didn't have the, the platform to express that because of the gatekeepers. So now more and more people are recognizing that their life sucks because most people's lives suck. And what gives them solace is doing a podcast every week or drawing a painting and posting a picture of that on Instagram and seeing what people think about that. So I think as a platform creator, that my hope is in the next 20 years, more and more and more platforms like us exist. They don't have to be audio. They don't have to be, they just have to be platforms. It shouldn't just be Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Like it should be at least 20 or 30 of these platforms because that diversifies the reach that creatives, which are human beings will be able to have for their content. And hopefully that just makes the world a more happier place because there's just more cool shit to watch and enjoy. I
0: agree completely. And with that, thank you so much. I look forward to being on uh, the Scoring Compass podcast, being on audio. Um, I will, uh, you know, once it's up there, obviously I'll I'll share it on all my socials and all that jazz. Um, But yeah, just any chance to get get the podcast in front of more people, uh, more ears is greatly appreciated. Uh, You know, it's it's, Freemasonry is something I love. uh, But particularly what I love is the way it connects to the world. And the way even non-Masons will have a connection to it or their city will have a connection to it or it it permeates so many different aspects of the world. Getting a chance to share that uh, is much appreciated Uh, and so I appreciate you for reaching out to me and um, I look forward to being on the platform.
1: Yeah no Cameron I appreciate you joining to join the platform because we're looking for users as much as you're looking for discoverability and Hopefully we build something good enough that gets you a lot of attention and, and just like exceeds your wildest expectations. So I'm looking forward to see what happens.
0: Very cool. All right. Thank you so much.
1: All right, Cameron. Talk to you soon.
0: I'll talk to you later. And Prince is better.
1: Prince, he's, okay. We have to have a debate later. He is not. this. You don't have an argument. You just don't have an argument, but it's a, a difference. It, it, Red right, Corvette. Brad, Ray, Ray. Of, how many number ones has Prince had on the billboard?
0: I don't know. He doesn't, doesn't know. He doesn't need any more than one, you know, Purple Rain is all you need.
1: Okay, I mean, Wrestling. I would think as a musician, you need a body of work to discover, you know, a one-hit, well, that sounds like a one-hit wonder what you're describing, but you know, teach their own, teach
0: their own. Yeah, there's, Dave Chappelle, there's a reason Dave Chappelle's, you know, started his uh, last special singing, well, I guess not his last special, last special was what, Redemption Song? So that's Marley. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, there's a reason Dave Chappelle's, I think it was his last Netflix special was uh, started with Party Like It's 1999.
1: So yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I mean you know you got an opinion it's not a good opinion but you you've got... <laughs>